Opening day is finally here. The Mets begin their 2021 season Thursday against the Nationals in D.C. Hallelujah. Do the Mets have what it takes to win a division? Is this a championship team? We'll give an in-depth season preview and make our predictions as the post Mike Puma joins us today. We also will chat with a 1986 Mets World Series champion and a former fiery manager in the Mets minor league system. It's the great Wally Backman. You're not going to want to miss that one. It's time for our season preview edition of Amazing But True next from the New York Post. Crazy, yo. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks, it's out of here. We got you. And now, here they are, Brooklyn's own, number 27, the F-I-double-G-I-E, Nelson Figueroa. Astoria's finest, number 69, it's Jay Swizzy, Jake Brown. Welcome to Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post, a special season preview edition of the show. Jake Brown here at Jake Brown Radio, Nelson Figueroa there at Figgy NY. We got a packed season preview show. Mike Puma of the New York Post is going to join us later in the show. And boy, do we got a hell of an interview with former Met Wally Backman, who many people want at many times to be the manager. And he tells us why that probably won't be the case anytime soon with the Mets. So definitely want to listen to that. But Figgy, baseball's here. That counts. I mean, what a tease. Spring training, it's finally over. People can stop overreacting to meaningless stats. This is real. Thursday is real. I'm excited, Figgy, for Mets, Nats, D.C., Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer. Yeah, without a doubt, that's a marquee matchup that you want to see in baseball this year, and you're going to see it possibly several times throughout the season. The National League East has some headline, show-stopping type aces, and I can't wait to see Jacob DeGrom. The way he looked all spring long, the way he is right now, just on another level. The Mets put up some runs, and hopefully have a victory and – be leading the East starting out the season on Thursday. But I tell you what, never has it mattered less when it comes to spring training than this year. I get it with COVID. There were so many rules with they could be a five-inning game, a seven-inning game, a nine-inning game. You could stop the inning at any time. You could do whatever you wanted to do. But there are some, I guess, causes for concern with certain players. We'll get into that a little bit. At the same time, you know, health was pretty good all the way around survive the spring training without losing any real key members and looking forward to Thursday. And it's been a long time coming because there was an excitement in the air last year, especially where the, the guys were hitting the baseball, but the starting rotation wasn't able to, to fulfill any kind of void after Jacob DeGrom. And then when you see the bullpen shook out to be, it was really only Diaz and Justin Wilson, who was is not back this year, but it, it'll be an exciting fun-filled day on Thursday, and I think the season is going to be one to remember. And 162, fans back in the stadium. It's it's just an entirely different feel this year than it was last year. You didn't know what to expect. Last year is basically a throwaway, and obviously the big story before we dive right into the season is the Francisco Lindor contract extension. Once I heard that he ordered chicken parm, I immediately went to Fanatics and ordered that jersey, extra large, <laughs> the blue jersey. Never have I loved a player more who ordered chicken parm. Stephen Cohen ordered ravioli. That news is going to, I mean, we expect it to happen. I don't think they're going to wait until the season. Conforto might be a different story, but I think this deal does get done. So I don't even want to touch on that a lot because we do assume that they agree to this number, whether it's 350, 375, 340. It's going to be somewhere in the 300 to 400 million. It's going to be a lot of freaking money, man. Whether it's eight years, 10 years, he's probably going to get, you know, more money than anyone. It just seems like the Mets aren't throwing enough out there, but I think both sides will come to an agreement, and he's part of an offense. Let's start with the offense, Figgy, because everyone's talking about this could be the most explosive Mets offense maybe of the decade. Well, let's, let's go quickly position by position here. Catcher, you have James McCann, Tomas Nito as the big two. Lacking a little bit of depth there. Maybe they add another body as well, but 
You finally have a catcher that can throw guys out at second base, is not a defensive liability, and he's essentially your eight hitter. Now, he had a pretty good year offensively. He's a, he's a decent hitting offensive catcher. So I think a catcher, a lot less worries this time than in the past. Yeah, and you're not worried about if the guy's going to survive the whole season. Also, the drop-off when it comes defensively and, and game-calling and a guy who can handle his pitching staff, Tomas Nito is a, a reliable backup. You know, last year with COVID, he never really got back into form and wasn't able to help the team out, but loved what I saw from him. I think he hit like two home runs before he, got, he you know went down with COVID. But he has been a guy that you've counted on to be that defensive catcher. Uh, you got James McCann, who's going to be tested – Remember, a lot of reasons why backups have success is because they're backups. They're not game planned for. They're not worried about. And in this lineup, he really isn't the focal point either. So hopefully he can continue swinging the bat the way he has and continue that progression that he has defensively. I liked what I saw with him in spring training, working with these pitchers, getting to know these pitchers, and having that strong arm behind the plate, throwing out runners. That was definitely a welcome sight to see. And he's also got the great Instagram name where if you listen to rap music, you hear in the background, they go, Karnan, Karnan. He is McCannon, Carnan. So I love him for that. All right, let's go down the infield. First base, we're going to see without the DH figure, a lot of Pete Alonso. I mean, let's be real. He might play 150 games out there. You have Dom Smith as an option as well. He's going to be left fielder, but there may be times he spells Alonso at first when they play in American League Park. You, you'll probably see Dom at first and, and Alonso as DH, but we're going to see Alonso at first. Don't even need to discuss it. Needs a big year offensively. The fans back, hyping him up. Second base, we're going to see a lot of Jeff McNeil. You know, I think that's his natural position, so I'm looking forward to him playing second. I think he played pretty decent, honestly, in the outfield, but you're going to see him a lot at second. You have Luis Guillorme as a backup second baseman, a backup shortstop, and a backup third baseman. And you have Jonathan VR, a little banged up, but it looks like he'll be ready Third base, you're going to have J.D. Davis almost every day. You love the bat, a little worried about the defense, but I think having the reps that he's got in spring at third base will help him, and then we don't even need to talk about it. Lindor, it's got to be a superstar player. You're about to pay him a monster deal without even stepping into the batter's box on opening day, so you're expecting him to return to superstar form where he wasn't last year. So overall, hitting-wise, you love the infield. Fielding, you're a little bit worried about J.D., but otherwise, you love Lindor at short. Pete Alonso has improved very much defensively at first, and you're not too worried about Jeff McNeil either at second. So you like the depth with Villar and Guillaume off the bench as well could play any of those positions. So overall, I, I'm a big fan of the infield. Yeah, athleticism. I mean, honestly, this is as athletic an infield as we've seen in a long time. Guys can move all around. Guys have strong enough arms to make all the throws. When it comes to you know Pete Alonso over there scooping the ball and saving some errors, uh, I'm not worried about it. It was it's not going to be a Rosario situation where he'd field the ball and you know throw five in a row down in the dirt. Lindora is as steady as it gets. We've seen him already flashing the leather uh, throughout spring. McNeil going back to second base again, an athlete who's able to move. They're going to you know do the shifts, be able to shift a little bit more than normal. Have some of these pitchers like a Marcus Stroman who's a ground ball specialist be able to take advantage of that having these athletes all moved all over the infield so I, I think they have enough to uh, and they've done enough to increase the defensively and and get better defensively around the infield jd davis of course is the x factor for me for this team up and down whether it's offense defense if he's going to be able to put up those solid numbers that he did a couple of years ago and be your everyday third baseman, uh, you know, I'm perfectly comfortable with that. But if he's going to be an error machine, then where are you going to play him, honestly? Because you're not going to sit Dom to play J.D. Davis. And have, having VR and Guillaume as late-game defensive replacements, you're going to see for J.D. Davis. I think VR gives you some speed, too. Late in the game, you need a pinch runner. Say it is someone like Davis. Davis isn't slow, but if you can replace him on the base pass and in the field, VR becomes an important part of this team as well. Eventually, you're going to have Jose Martinez as a backup first baseman as well whenever he gets back from injury, but that's not something we're going to look at until later in the summer. The outfield is, if you look at question marks in the offense, that's in the lineup, that's where we look at just because defensively. Now, left field, Dom Smith is at times going to be an adventure. Let's be real. He's not been a left fielder. But again, another guy who has had all of spring to kind of play out there and get his chance to shine. So left field, Dom Smith. Center field, you're going to see a lot of Brandon Nimmo. 
But you also have Albert Amora Jr., who's who's looked at as the fifth outfielder, and the fourth outfielder being Kevin Pillar, and then obviously Michael Conforto. And right, we have no worries about him. He improved so much defensively. His arm has improved. He's got a good arm, and he's got the bat. So Nimmo, I think, has to improve offensively, of course. Uh, we know he gets on base. I would love to see a little bit more pop out of him. But left to right at the plate, we're not too worried about defense is the big question mark. But I do think they, they helped their case with bringing in PR and Almora because Figgy in center and left, when you do worry about defense late, those are two guys that could also come in late. Pilar is a veteran. Almora is somewhat of a liability at the plate where Pilar, you know, if, if one of these guys gets hurt and Pilar's your everyday outfielder, the guy's done it plenty of times before. So depth-wise, they have a good four and five when they need it. But I think we're looking for a lot of offense from Dom, a lot of offense from Conforto, and for Nimmo to kind of set the table at the top of the lineup. Yeah, not worried about those guys offensively. I think they've gotten enough reps at the major league level where you, you those are steady check marks, you know, for guys who are going to be able to produce. Nimmo, again, it's recognizing the strike zone and, and it's not trying to outsmart the umpires and three, two taking strike three. You know, he's one of the guys that's so weird that he has such a good eye and his on-base percentage is what really makes him uh, such an attractive guy where he was fifth ranked fifth uh, for center fielders in all of baseball. Thanks to the uh, MLB shredder where a lot of people wouldn't even put him that even that in the top 10, but because of his ability to get on base, I'd still, don't like the amount of strikeouts. He puts up judge-like strikeouts at times and, and can really frustrate you. His ability to swing the bat and put the ball in play and use his speed, he has very good speed as well. So I want to see him stealing bases. I want to see him being a little bit more aggressive. I know defensively they've been playing deep in the outfield and moving in on the ball because anything hit over the head is probably going to be a home run if it gets over the head. So that's a, a philosophy that looks like they're going to use early on in the season at least to try and cover a little bit more ground. Hopefully that works. But the backups – Kevin Pillar would be a, a welcome center fielder on most teams. Uh, his ability to go get the ball, I'm not worried about him. And Albert Amora Jr. is another guy who defensively is great to have both those guys that you can replace late in ball games and keep another guy on the bench and mix and match. So depth is not an issue for the Mets for a first time in a long time. And in the pipeline, again, with Jose Martinez, but also with the Khalil Lee and a Malik Smith guys that later on maybe you see. Because, listen, we're, there's going to be injuries. It just happens. And you never know that if guy if there's a COVID situation again. That could happen as well. So depth, definitely not an issue. All right, we go to the rotation now, Figgy. At the start of the season, it's going to be DeGrom, Stroman, Walker, Peterson, Lucchesi. Now, they might want to split up lefties, righties. Okay, maybe it's Peterson three, Walker four, Lucchesi five. I love how Lucchesi throws. I love his, his rotation. I love his windup. I think he could be effective for this team. And in the pipeline, Jordan Yamamoto's your guy. In June, you get Noah Syndergaard back. If they need him when he comes back, you have Seth Lugo as potentially a star draw, although they like him out of the bullpen. But overall... I think here's the keys. We know what DeGrom is DeGrom. Stroman has got to be the pitcher he was with the Blue Jays. He needs to be the number two for this team, at least till Noah Syndergaard gets back. And when Syndergaard gets back, and you're talking about Walker as a four, and then Peterson as a five with Lucchesi and Yamamoto, that's when you're really starting to talk about how good this rotation could be. But I think Marcus Stroman is that guy who needs to be somewhat of an ace again for this team. And, you know, Peterson, you need to for him to look like he did last year. You don't need a ton out of him. And then Lucchesi, he's a guy who's been there. You know, he's pitching the majors. He's had success. So I'm not too worried about this starting rotation. But, you know, in the first two months, Figgy, if they were to lose a guy, that's when you can be a little bit worried. But at full strength, this rotation is pretty stacked, man. And what I meant to say was Walker would be your number five, which Peterson, Lucchesi, and, and, and Yamamoto are, are down in the minors. I mean, that's the scary thing when Carrasco, who, by the way, has started throwing, and they're saying he's ahead of progress, so we might see him uh, before Memorial Day. Yeah, that's that's really what you're looking for. If he's going to be healthy and, and, and it's not as bad as first diagnosed, then I'm looking forward to seeing Carrasco being that three, then you get back Syndergaard, you know, in June, and you're looking at pushing everyone down a peg. But at that time, it doesn't matter. You know, everybody goes through the rotation the first time. You're number one and a number five, only that first time through the rotation after the off days because you know you're going to have the ground pitching every fifth day regardless. So sorry about, uh, you know, number five, number five guy. He's going to have to wait, you know, two weeks maybe to pitch 
shoot out the gate. So that's why you have somebody like a Lucchese who can relieve. He has relieved before. And so you only have one lefty in the pen as it is starting out the season with Loop. I think that's a perfect reason why Lucchese stays and he's able to be used as a lefty early on in the season to keep him sharp and at least give him some work. And then when you finally need him after that second time through the rotation and you're able to give DeGrom that extra day, then you will. But I'm very pleased with the rotation. And Stroman, you're right. Absolutely 100%. He is that X factor for this rotation. He has to be the guy that finally gets to walk the walk. He's talked the talk since he's put on a Met uniform. And we have not seen the Marcus Stroman that we clamored for because this is a guy who was an ace for the Blue Jays in that American League East and faced those tough Yankee lineups for years and years and strutted out there and would have guys baffled and befuddled and and frustrated because of the way he pitches and the way his timing, he throws people off. We had Rick Peterson on, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. And this is guys, a perfect example of he does what most pitchers can't do. He's able to change his mechanics, change his delivery. You never will hear him talk about mechanics with him. It's tempo, timing, and rhythm. And if he has those three things and he's leading the dance, it's a very difficult at bat for any single hitter in all of baseball. And I've seen that out of him before, and I'd love to see it out of him often this season. And a contract year for Marcus Stroman. So a big year. And again, he is, you know, if you follow him on Twitter, he has certainly talked the talk. Now he's got to walk the walk. Yeah, I mean, thinking the post-All-Star game rotation of DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, Carrasco, Walker is just filthy, arguably the best in baseball. So if all healthy, they're good. All right, let's wrap up with what could be the biggest concern of the Mets season, and that is the bullpen. There are a lot of what-ifs. You added Trevor May. You added Aaron Loop. You lost Justin Wilson. Miguel Castro was a headache in the one month that we had to see him. He added a pitch. Let's see what he does out of middle relief. Jerry's Familia was a headache. We need to see him improve. Dellen Batances was a headache. We need to see him improve. The velocity hasn't been there, and he's, you know, you're paying him $6 million, so he needs to be something. Edwin Diaz, not as much of a headache, but he did blow four saves. So a lot of guys need to step up and pitch better, and that's the key. We, you throw in guys like Jacob Barnes. Listen, Gazelman made the team. I don't agree with it, but they didn't have a ton of options, and you weren't going to pay Mike Montgomery $2.5 million to be a middle reliever, so I get why they they cut him, and we'll see Gazelman at least early on until Seth Lugo comes back, but Gazelman's got to step up, man. He, he stunk in spring training, and he's always been a guy that you don't really trust in middle relief, but the key is Edwin Diaz becoming the guy that you acquired in the Cano trade, in the Kalenic trade, which is what it's looked at now with Cano uh, out for the year with PED suspension. So there's a lot of what-ifs, but you're going to need Batanz to step up. You need, Luke pitched well last year. He's your only lefty, like you said, so you're going to need him to be great against lefties and be a a reliable option. But Trevor May is a guy who's closed in the big leagues before. So you kind of need to have a lot of guys step up last year and then guys come in and step up at middle relief. But you're hoping that, you know, Batances and Familius set up Edwin Diaz and you can trust that. But that's the what if on this team. I think if the bullpen figgy is great, the Mets will be great. It's always going to come down to the bullpen. And it's going to come down to not just the bullpen, but – it's not just these seven, eight names. They're going to be three or four more names that the names that you don't want to hear are the Corey Oswalds of the world, the Daniel Zamora's of the world. And no disrespect to them because I was one of those guys, but I'm looking for this team now has an owner who can afford a Tesla. You want a Tesla type caliber of product out there. I do not want an experiment. I do not want a Toyota Prius out there when I'm expecting the performance of a, of a Tesla. I, I don't care that you're saving money on gas. These guys are the guys that you're counting on. And some of the big names like a Batances, we're not sure what you're going to get. Familia, the gift and the curse is that sinker. If teams literally put the bat on their shoulder and just waited for him to throw two strikes, they probably all walk. It, it, it's nasty movement. It's late movement. It's sharp. He needs to get swings. So it'll be interesting to see how he is able to open up counts with breaking balls or even a four-seam fastball just to open up a count and then put the onus on the hitter to make contact. 
Miguel Castro, he added a pitch, like you said. He looked pretty good in spring training. Gaselman, I know he's coming back from surgery. He has never been that same guy that we saw the first year. He has always been the guy that's kind of been the tag along, whether it was following around DeGrom or following around Syndergaard or growing the hair or being – he's like a shadow of those guys. And I think he, he just doesn't do it for me uh, enough. But if this is the guy that's going to be that bridge – He's somebody that can give you a little bit of length. He can go multiple innings, uh, you know, and I think he's the guy that goes if Seth Lugo, as soon as Seth Lugo is available, he's the guy that, you know, gets optioned down because he has options left. So I think that's why you kept him around and you cut the other guys because they had $2 million contracts and also they didn't have any options left. So it's business decision. It's something that's probably calculated on figuring out, you know, who's the first guy to go when uh comes back jacob barnes is not a household name and he's a guy that's a surprise to me also that made the team you've got blevins being the other lefty who had a pretty good camp seemed like he still had plenty in the tank big breaking ball just a different style than the current baseball with all the power pitchers he's had that big slow curveball that has baffled the national league east for years i i think we will see blevins at some point this year and i'm okay with that and I think he could be the guy, too, Figgy, that replaces Gazelman, especially if you have him and then Lugo back, Lugo replaces Barnes, and then you have a lot more household names in the bullpen. Yeah, no, and, 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 that's where, and that's where you're looking at this depth. So we keep praising them about the depth. We keep praising them about the depth signings. I, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what happens. All these predictions and all these – there's always things to worry about, but I think the Mets are in a very good position to start out the season with a talented team that can do enough – especially early on in the season to have you sitting there around July and going, all right, now if they just add one more piece here and one more piece there and an ownership that is willing to, you know, make those calls and, 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 you know, open up the wallet and allow uh, Sandy to do something like that. Then you're looking at a summer to remember uh, a la 2015. And hopefully capacity morning, you got to factor in with Diaz and Familia, there will be fans booing it. They suck it up. So I I might be one of them in the crowd. Mask, no mask, whatever it is, there will be at least 8,000 fans there. And now with vaccinations opening up in New York now this next week where, you know, 16 and up, you're getting vaccinated. You know, by, by June, you might have a 50% capacity by the summer. So there might be 25,000 people in there booing Edwin Diaz if he sucks it up. Listen, huh? listen there'll, be a ear, there'll be an earshot from City Field, enough bars where you'll hear the moans and groans. If they can't get into the stadium, you'll yeah. be able to Still hear even them. McFadden's so and McKellar's closing yeah. down. I mean, wherever wherever bar opens up there, you'll hear from the pi- there. The, you'll hear yeah, the, the pine over at the Holiday Inn will still be rocking. That that place. Listen, I, I love going to ball games there. I love the, the environment. So being able to do that, and and as it opens up more and more, you'll see more and more people going out there. But I do I do see a lot of people getting out, and we're still going to try and do the social distance thing as much as possible. And if you need to wear, uh, have to wear the mask still, and to go in these places and your vaccinations. It's a different world we're living in, but it's a much better world when we're going to have 162 baseball games to watch. Get me to City Field. I got the proof of vaccination. (laughs) You might see me at 30 to 40 games. There's a lot lot tougher to get tickets this year, a lot more difficult processes and opening days expensive. But all right, you mentioned predictions earlier. Let's make ours. I say this. I think the NL East is tough. We say it over and over again. This is a four-team race probably. I think the Mets win the division. I'm going to be positive. I think if all goes well and healthy, 93-69, and the Mets win the NL East. I think it's going to be over. It might come down to the final weekend. I think they maybe beat the Braves by a game, maybe beat the Nationals by two or three, maybe beat the Phillies by two or three, but I think they just squeak it out. Maybe even a tiebreaker, but I think the Mets, Figgy, win the division, but... I do think the Dodgers are just too damn good. And the Dodgers beat the Yankees in the World Series. What oh, you taking the Yankees all the way through. Yeah, listen, without a doubt, the Dodgers are the cream of the crop. They are the gold standard when it comes to the National League. But the Mets, I'm looking at them to do what everybody has always thought they could do on paper when it comes opening day. They're going to be a 90 to 94 win team somewhere in there because the, the East is so tough that even the Marlins – 
I mean, just think two years ago, the Marlins won 57 games. Last year, I think they almost, you know, won very close to that many in only 60 games. So I, the Marlins even got better. Their young, promising pitchers are now at the big league level and have gotten experience. So I, I look at it to be very tough in the National League East to win the pennant. It's probably going to take over that. The Braves are not going anywhere. The Nationals had an off year, but you know them. They can heat up at any time. Phillies are the uh, that team that who knows what they are. That bullpen was just so bad. The Mets, I say, they're going to finish either one or two. And as long as they get their foot in the door with that pitching staff, with that starting rotation. And remember, when you get to the playoffs, We've seen enough teams do it. They take those starters and make them relievers so that you lengthen out that bullpen. Then you don't worry about those middle relievers because now you have guys with starter capability being those middle relievers, and then you can use those back-end guys to lock down games. So I think the Mets, if they get into the playoffs, they're the one team that can give the Dodgers a run for their money with that pitching staff and, and that lineup where we said to start out the show, one through eight one through eight, because no, no universal DH. It would have been great if we had that not one through nine with the universal DH. One through eight, this eight, this team is very, very deep in that lineup and even has some guys off the bench and ability to mix and match that I think Luis Rojas uh, is going to have to have grown because I know you were very oh, well, frustrated with him last year. That's something we didn't even mention. I mean, Luis Ross has to be a better manager. He sucked last year. And if he sucks, the Mets aren't going to win as many games as I thought. So that's a big factor. And, you know, we'll talk managing with Wally Backman in a minute. But give me an exact number. You're saying first or second, 90-94. Give me a number and the finish. Stop skirting around the question. Uh, I got I got 92. And it's a, it, the Braves don't hold on with their starting rotation because they have a lot of question marks as well. It could win. It could be enough i think it is enough but as like so if not a wild card they're getting it they're getting it they're in the playoffs 92 and 70 is your prediction i say 93 and 69 so right around that vegas number so now we we find out again luis rojas two words don't suck be better (laughs) four words so don't manage by the analytics book every single game and uh we'll see because if he doesn't maybe wally backman's here and sandy's gone who knows speaking of wally backman He's going to join us next on Amazing But True. Joining us now is an infielder that played with the Mets from 1980 through 1988. He was a key member of the 1986 World Series champion Mets. He was known for his scrappy play and fiery demeanor, and he would later go on and manage the Mets single-A, double-A, and triple-A teams where he would win a PCL manager of the year award. He's currently the Long Island Ducks manager. It's number six, Wally Backman. Wally, it's Jake Brown and Nelson Figaro. Welcome to Amazing But True. How you been, man? Hey, it's good to hear from you guys, Jake and Nelson. I've been great through all those hard times that I guess that we were supposed to have. You know, it really never affected very many people where I live because I live out west in Oregon. But other than that, everything's been great. You know, you're going to be back here soon and managing the Ducks. What's the status of the Ducks season? And uh, you, you, you got a former – the Ducks always have some very intriguing big leaguers on their team. I covered a media day where they had Ramon Castro, Dontra Willis, and they were supposed to have Vladimir Guerrero on the way. Do you guys have any interesting players on this year's roster? My whole infield is big league players. Brock Stassi, who played with Philadelphia, played first. I got Steve Lombardozzi, Ryan Jackson, who's a shortstop, and 99.9% TJ Rivera is going to be here. I had him in 19 and we, we uh, sent him to the Nationals, but TJ doesn't get hooked up with anybody, which is, this kid can really hit, man. So it's a, it's a shame that he's not on a big league club as a super utility guy, but it's what it is. You know, in, in 19, we broke the record for the most wins in the Atlantic League and won the championship, and that was in the process of losing 16 guys back to affiliated baseball or sending them overseas, you know, to where they can make some money or get another opportunity, you know, and that's what we're all about, trying to give these guys a, a second opportunity, and that's why we go out after the guys, it's not a it's not a thing where they make a lot of money, but they get the option and, or opportunity to try to go somewhere because I really try to push it back to affiliated baseball or overseas. Yeah, TJ Rivera figgy should be back, and we know TJ Rivera as the guy who had the dildo in his locker. I mean, who, who his teammates putting a dildo <laughs> yeah. in his locker, Wally? I mean, what's going I know, on? I know. I I seen the interview. I thought I laughed my ass off. <laughs> Listen, I I remember this when I was back at SNY and. 
and I always wanted to have a chance to talk to you to ask you this. So remember, of course, the play where Chase Utley takes out Ruben Tejada at second base. He slides in there hard, as we were always taught to do, um, you know, especially in the Mets organization. We had the DP Buster T-shirts with Milzy going around and, and being the, uh, the instructor on that. I told Keith Hernandez that night because he everyone was, oh, it's dirty. It's a dirty play. It's a dirty play. And I said to him, let me get this right. If Wally Backman was at first base and you hit that ground ball up the middle and you're down a run first and third, you think Wally wasn't going to take out the guy at second base no matter which way he was facing? And he's like, yeah, but he would have done it. And I ask you right here and now, do you feel that slide was dirty? And would you have gone in the same way? I would have went in exactly the same way. I mean, you're trying to win a baseball game and, and uh, you know, the game has gotten, you know, and the game has gotten so soft. I have so many scars for my calves down from being spiked, playing second base, getting taken out at second base. That was baseball. Let me tell you something. If I was on first base and my brother was playing second base, I would go in there to take him out. There's no intention, I don't think, to try to hurt a guy, but you're trying to win a baseball game. And to me, that's baseball. That's like the Buster Posey rule. You know, the, the money has got so big in the game today that they make these rules up that you can't take out a catcher anymore. He's wearing all the freaking gear. You know, what do we got on a helmet? If it stayed on our head as we're coming into home plate to take out a catcher. To me, that's baseball. That's old school baseball. And I get it and understand it to an extent that because the money is so big in the game today that they're trying to protect the players a little bit more but you know what you got to be able to take out a second baseman you got to be able to run over the catcher if you have to you know I remember seeing when I was in Philadelphia to end the game Darren Dalton was our catcher he got knocked cold at the plate by a guy taking him out but you know what he did he caught the next day it's just the mentality of some of these guys it's it's the way you have to handle them as a manager which is a lot different today than it used to be you get called out a lot in front of your own teammates you can't do that anymore speaking of that managing today's player especially in major leagues right now with the atlantic league is almost like they were guinea pigs trying all these rule changes and everything else that's to me that's one of the most unfair things as these guys are trying to come back and you're trying to move the mound back two feet or you know bases being 80 you know bigger bases and all the other things that they're trying now and finally an affiliated baseball because you were doing it to a league like the atlantic league managing today's player how difficult would that be for you at affiliated baseball oh i don't think it'd be difficult at all i mean i was up until six through 16, I was still with the Mets. I mean, it was still the same back then. It's just the way that you have to handle your players now. It's always been a one-on-one thing, but it's, you know, a lot of times you have to probably call the player in your office and talk to him. You know, you can't say something in a meeting where you blow a team up or whatever. And, uh, you know, those things just don't happen really anymore. You know, it's it's more a one-on-one basis, which is it's fine. You know, that, that part of the game has changed, but maybe not in a real bad way. I remember I got blown up a few times by Jim Leland right in front of my teammates. And it was like, God, I wanted to crawl into a hole, you know, but he was right, you know, and it made me, it made me a better person, made me a better player. Wally, do you think there is a chance that, you know, Luis Rojas struggles this year, next year an opening comes up? Do you think there's a chance you ever manage the big league Mets team? Not with who's the uh, president. That wouldn't happen. He doesn't like me because I've always been very close to the media. I'm still close to the media that was there when I played. That's not what he likes. He doesn't like that. He told me that before. You know, got to the point in 16, you know, Terry wanted me to be his bench coach. And Sandy said, that's not going to happen. That's when they hired Dickie Scott. And then I was going to be the third base coach one year, and that didn't happen. So, you know, I don't I don't know what I ever did. I never disrespected the man ever, ever, and did what he asked me to do. You know, he had the one issue with, with Brandon Nimmo. I was supposed to hit him first, second, and I hit him eight. I think it was eight or nine times during the regular season when we were facing one of the toughest left-handers in the, in the PCL, and I was just trying to protect the kid. You know, I had to get all the statistics and show it to everybody because he said I wasn't doing what I was told to do. I know how to protect players. You know, I played the game. I didn't mind being protected because I couldn't hit a lefty to save my ass. <laughs> you know, so it was like I just trying to help the kids, you know, to protect them and do things like that. But, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to be, be the guy that ran that team because I, I know the players and I know how to run the game. But that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I'm 61 years old now, and as much as I'd love to do it, I like where I'm at on Long Island. The people are great out there. They're all Met fans, most of them. They come out, fill the seats up. We put a good product on the field. We play really good baseball. You know, we got some speed. We got some power. It's kind of fun when you can pick your own players. 
which I'm able to do. You, you kind of go from there. You can build your team the way you want it, opposed to, you know, what happens in affiliated ball. I'd never go back to the minor leagues in affiliated ball just because all the stuff they want to do, you know, the analytics and all that. I know all the analytics, and some of them are good. And there's so many of them that don't make any sense. You can't grade somebody's guts or their heart or their ability to play in the playoffs. Year in and year out, you'll watch players that are big-name players that get to the playoffs, and they stink because they get in that big spot and they just can't do it, you know, and somebody rises to the occasion and takes over, you know. So, But you can't grade those type of things. And they think they can. You know, everybody I, – I mean, I sat in on the draft the first year that I went back to the Mets, and the players don't even have names. There's a number, number 25665 or whatever it is, and then they say the guy's name. The game has changed. Yeah, and I think a lot of Mets fans, you know, we always bring you up because we like, you know, your fiery demeanor. Obviously, you know, the videos have been out there. The uh, I think it was South Georgia Peanuts. That ejection was uh, a classic. <laughs> that wild. was a good one. Oh, <laughs> Tore my whole fingernail off. <laughs> <laughs> that was a... me and Doc went and had a beer. <laughs> That, that was a viral sensation. I mean, you were throwing balls, bats. I mean, it was just incredible. And I think you just had so much success in the minors here that it seemed like a given that you should have been a shot. Now, you were a finalist, right, against Terry in 2011. Yes, I was. I, I like Terry. I thought you probably would have been better. Obviously, Terry did take the Mets to the World Series 2015, but I always wonder what could have been or what would be if you were to become the Mets manager one day. Would you Would you manage another team in baseball? Do you, If another team, say the Pirates, came calling and said, we want you to manage, would you take that job? Sure, I would. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, Terry wanted me to succeed him. Terry and I still talk. He always kept telling me that Sandy didn't like the fact that I was so friendly with the media that, my God, you got to deal with him every day, so why wouldn't you be friendly with him? doesn't make any sense, but he wants to run the whole show, and he is right now, so we'll see what happens. Watching you in that 86 team, growing up in Brooklyn, New York, you guys kind of set the tone for how to play the game the right way. Heart hustle and maybe a few fisticuffs. I mean, <laughs> let's get let's yeah, be no, real. I mean, about that happens. Yeah, it, it happens, happens right? Yeah. I'd rather I'd rather see that than, you know, a guy strike out nowadays because they don't care if they strike out or not. They're striking out 200 times a year. As long as they hit 25 home runs, get close to 100 RBIs, and they're getting paid that big money, they'd walk off like, ah, there's tomorrow. I used to love watching you guys. You guys used to – I mean, you fight each other. It felt like somebody wasn't pulling their weight. So that to me is where I, I think the tone was set for me as a kid early on about heart, hustle, and desire. It always would outshine talent. And then when you infuse – talent into that mix where you had guys like doc and daryl and carter came in with his leadership that 86 team is etched in stone for me as, as the, my favorite team of all time and no matter what no one can ever take that away no matter what happened after that or the years that followed no you know it was a it was a great club you know they they kind of tore us apart a little bit too early but we were pretty wild we we had we had a lot of fun but you know we went to the park we partied hard we played hard we went to the park every day expecting to win and i think that's one of the things that i try to do as a manager is instill that in the players when you go to the park, you expect to win every day. I don't care who you're facing. You know, if you can get that type of mood swing with your players, I think that's what Davey did with us is put that in our mind so much that every day you go to the park, you're expected to win. You're not going to win 162 games. But we did win 108 that year, so that wasn't bad. Yeah, I, I always wonder about that team, Wally, if, if Twitter and you know, TMZ and all that was around for the 86 Mets. I mean, it could get <laughs> wild, right? <laughs> <laughs> We might not have been able to field the team. Everybody would have been in jail. <laughs> oh, man. It'd be like the longest yard. You guys would have been the best in-house team ever in the history of jail. And then 88. I mean, ugh. I mean, I wasn't alive, but just seeing, you know, the highlights. You know, I'm, I'm 30, so I was a couple really years after I really hate when you that. say that. You know that, right? Listen, I got to remind you how I old really you are. I really hate when you say that. You know what sucked about 88? We beat the Dodgers 11 out of 12 times during a regular season. <sighs> And then we lost to them. Do you ever think that, you know, that, that could have been like a dynasty, the Mets? I mean, you win two titles in Mets terms. That's a dynasty. Yep. And I think we would have. If, we, if we'd have got by the Dodgers, I think we would have won that year, too. We had the sit pretty much the same team, and, and it was a good team. And it was just, oh, what's his face? Her sizer was the thorn in our side that year. Wally, what do you think of the 2021 Mets? You know, I think we're all saying they're going to win 90-plus games. 
Uh, a lot of, you know, the pitching's pretty good. One of the best lineups they've had in a long time. What do you, what's your outlook on the, the Mets this year? They should be on paper. They're very good, but on paper doesn't always mean everything, you know? So it's on paper. They look like they're should be the front runner in the East. I think the lineup's solid. The starting pitching is solid. The bullpen's good enough. I think it could be a little bit better. It really depends on if Diaz. I mean, he's he's going to be a key ingredient for him. I've had all those guys pretty much, and and I know what they're capable of. I think Familial will, will come back and be better. He's just he's got nasty stuff. I know that you know, and, and they should be good. They should be really good. I think that they'll be there in the end where they can have players for the playoffs or whatever, you know, when it gets to the trade deadline and things like that. But they should be good. Having new ownership here where somebody who allegedly, and I'm going to say allegedly, has deep pockets. I mean, we've seen that on paper. And on paper means nothing, apparently, in Mets land because they did not go out and sign Real Muto. They didn't sign Bauer. They didn't sign Springer. So they didn't go out and sign one of the three biggest free agents, which everybody thought they were going to sign all three because, you know, Stevie Cohen has so much money. What you said, you just hit the nail on the head, right? You think he has these he's going to be able to say, hey, if we're close and we're contention, they get to the trade deadline, open up the wallet. Go get him. Yep, I think so. I think so. I think it's a good ownership. And like you said, he does He, he does have deep pockets. I, I think he's a smart enough person to know how to use his money and get the right players. I think he's going to learn. You see what Sandy, see what Sandy does, you know? I mean, he's, uh, I'm not a big fan, so I, I should shut my mouth. The floor is all yours if you, if you, if you have anything. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. He's, I know what he did to me, and I know what they said. You know, they, they, I remember my first year when they came in. They were sitting at the head of the table, and we're sitting in the, the minor league room, in this room, whatever. It's All the coaches are in there. And they said, you're going to have to bleep me out here for a second. But they said, I don't give a f- about the 86 Mets. I worry about the 2010 Mets. And I'm sitting in there in my street clothes next to Mookie Wilson, Tim Tuffle, and all three of us. Well, I know Tuff was. I don't know if Mookie was. We're all wearing our 86 World Series ring in this meeting at 7.30 in the morning. And I'm thinking, who the f*** are these guys? <laughs> so that's where I'm at. And that, that was Sandy that said that? No, it was one of his uh, three disciples. What I'm thinking, and I, and I know where Wally's coming from. Listen, Sandy's always been praised as the money ball guy, doing uh, a lot more with less. It'll be interesting to see him have the ability to go to the ATM with an unlimited amount and see what he does. Because we saw what happened in 2015 where they were able to say, hey, you know what? They weren't even in contention and they went for it. And look how that turned out. So having that experience in 2015, and now you have ownership that'll say, you know what? Go get those guys. You know, we'll go and sign them back or we'll make it work. We'll worry about that later. I think that's what we're going to see and see Sandy be tested for the first time because he doesn't have that crutch of, oh, you know, we're trying to, you know, save money. I save a dollar here and there. But they cut Mike Montgomery today saying it was $2 million. That wasn't the reason. I think Sandy's being tested right now because if he doesn't win in the next two years, he won't be there. And then if he's not there, Wally Backman's our manager. And we're set for 2022, baby. <laughs> Bring back Wally. Go. I'm in. No, all right. no Sandy, no problem. Wally Backman, <laughs> Mets manager, I'm all in on that. So uh, we'll see. And, yeah, there is a lot of pressure, especially after the debacle, uh, Wally, at GM uh, with Jared Porter and, you know, sending 60-plus uh, text messages without a response and that whole saga. Hey, how, so. how, how do you not know about Porter? And how do you not know about had no business being there? Callaway, come on, come on. You don't know any of that stuff? Not the best uh, interview vetting done by Sandy uh, there. And, you know, he addressed that he needs to change his ways. And uh, you're right, a lot of pressure on him and uh, the Mets to get things done. The roster is definitely there, so we'll see what happens. Uh, Wally Backman, former Mets great 1986 World Series champion, Long Island Ducks manager. Figgy, we got to go out to Long Island this summer. and have You guys a- come out there. We're going to come out. We're going to have a few beers after the game, hopefully celebrating a Ducks victory. Uh, once, you know, I'm vaccinated and, and Figgy, Figgy will eventually be potentially. So we will be out. I get uh, vaccinated on Thursday. So, oh, good luck. Yes. I get my horse shot on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have not had any crazy side effects. I have no third arm and didn't invest in Microsoft yet. So, uh, so far so good. Well, uh, Wally, we appreciate you coming on amazing, but true. And, uh, we'll see you out of Long Island this summer. Sounds good guys. You guys take care. Joining us live now from Florida, he's been covering spring training all month, is the New York Post Mets beat writer, Mike Puma. You can follow him on Twitter 
at NYPost underscore Mets and read his stories in the post at NYPost.com. He will make the trek up to New York and then to D.C. for Mets Nationals Real Baseball on Thursday night. Cannot wait for that. And Puma, you've also entered the world of being an author as you can pre-order your new book, If These Walls Could Talk, New York Mets, which comes out April 27th. Uh, how's it feel to be an author? I like your style, getting right to the book right off the bat. That, that, that's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, it, it, it is great to be an author, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, the book's actually on Amazon now. It could be pre-ordered. But, yeah, April 27th and uh, covers you know, kind of the last two decades plus of Mets. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm getting, I think there's going to be some positive feedback to it. And it's always, Figgy, a big deal when you could add author to your resume. you writer, author. Next, he's going to be inspirational, motivational speaker, Mike Puma. And then it starts to climb. And then he starts to do TED Talks. And author is the first <laughs> step to that, Puma. So I'm looking forward to reading it. I mean, if we're not getting a copy as New York Post colleagues, we will gladly purchase it. I guess you get it wherever books are sold, Amazon and all that. On the bullpen, Robert Gazelman gets that final roster spot. Agree with the move or disagree, Puma? Boy, it's a tough one. You know, I, I look at it as, okay, it's the last spot in the bullpen, and Luis Rojas did make some sense today with the idea, all right, we're, we're going to have these lefties in, in Peterson and Luke Casey, and, you know, they're not expecting to get six, seven innings out of those guys. So, all right, so they're looking at it. Okay, we take out Peterson after four-plus, five-plus innings. We can get uh, multiple innings out of Gisellman, who's a right-hander. and You know, you go left to right instead of they gave the job to Montgomery, then you're going left to left. At the same time, you know, Gisellman didn't have a good spring. And the last few years, we really haven't seen much out of them. So maybe you look at it as, okay, this is Gisellman's uh, last shot here. Show the Mets something or that's it. So when you look at this Mets bullpen, there's some unknown guys, which in this day and age, if you look around Major League Baseball, it seems like it's that way for everyone. There's not too many of those household names anymore. There's no longer the Mariano Rivera's of the world that's the definite closer. You see so many teams in flux with the bullpen. Who is the guy that really I feel like if they're lucky to make this team, even though they're on a guaranteed contract, who's that guy for you, Puma? You know, it's got to be Dylan Batantis. I, I got to feel that if, if he didn't have $6 million coming to him this year, that there's a good chance he, he would have gotten cut. I mean, just the, the, he's gotten it done the last couple of appearances with his off-speed stuff. Hey, there's something to be said for that. But at the same time, he, you know, he's hovering around 90-91 with that fastball. There were some outings earlier in camp. He didn't look great. I mean, I guess the fact that he's a veteran, he's been through the wars before you give him that shot, but he certainly was on shaky ground. And I think the fact that he's making the $6 million put him on the roster uh, more than anything else. What happens with the starting rotation here? Because we, we know it looks like it's going to be Lucchese in there with Peterson, but do you, besides the first week, because we know DeGrom may start twice because of the off day, disregarding that, Puma, is it going to be Peterson at the three and then Walker and Lucchese? I know they're they're big on splitting up the lefties. Do you see? Do you see how that's that's how it ends up turning out? Yeah, I think he's he's kicking around a couple of ideas, and I, yeah, I, I think he wants to split up the lefties. And uh, like you said, that first week I could see them pushing back the fifth starter. So you, you pitch to Grom on Tuesday in Philly, so that gives you uh, you do it that way. You can pitch Walker actually on on Sunday in Washington, and then you can go Peterson. DeGrom with Casey, that gives you left, right, left if you want to do that in Philly. It sounded like that's something he's seriously considering. So going from the bullpen, and we talked a little bit about the starting rotation now, of course, the lineup. And this is probably one of the deeper lineups that we've seen from top to bottom uh, in the last, I would say, decade for the Mets, quite honestly, in my opinion. Um, the one guy that I have, I don't know if it's a question mark, but I'm a little worried about is Jeff McNeil. I know I don't supposed to read a lot into spring training stats, but him batting only a buck oh nine, and well, he did lead you know all of the cat of the uh, grapefruit league and hit by pitches, so that may have something to do with it. But I was looking for this guy to really kind of be clicking on all cylinders by now, and I haven't seen him be able to do that. I see a lot of frustrating at bats, a lot of chasing, a lot of you know trying to do a little bit too much. And for a guy who's being counted on in that lineup as your everyday second baseman, he to me is the one guy that could put this team you know in a great position and also could be a, a big hole very early yeah and just the fact that it's gotten in his head a little bit and Luis Rojas talked about that uh, yesterday 
you know, he's in there watching video a lot, and his mechanics were a, a little bit messed up early. So, yeah, I mean, I, I put it as a, as a little bit of a concern just because it, it, the batting average was so low. You know, if it's, you know, 220, maybe you write it off or something. But when a guy's hitting, you know, 109 or 111 or what, you know, whatever it was, you know, that, that's kind of jarring. But, listen, McNeil's done it for a couple of years, and, and, and he, he's, had some, he's had some slow stretches. He got off to a, a slow start uh, last year. So I, I would expect him to get on, figure it out and get on track. You know, he's two straight years of, of hitting over 300. He, he definitely gets the benefit of the doubt right now. Sticking to the offense, obviously the key member in that lineup is Francisco Lindor, who earned himself a lifetime contract in my book by ordering chicken parm at the dinner with Steve Cohen over ravioli. <laughs> I mean, never go ravioli over chicken parm. I mean, real ones who, who enjoy eating and who are Italian know that that's the case. So uh, I love that Lindor ordered chicken parm. But uh, more importantly, Puma, is this getting done? I mean, it seems like there's still some money. They're off a little bit. It's somewhere over $300 million. Is this? Are you sure that this thing gets done before that opening day deadline Thursday? And I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I, I I really think it's heading that in that direction. Just some of the hints of the last couple of days, Steve Cohen out there on Twitter, you know, crowdsourcing what they should offer Lindor and, and the dinner. And I mean, bottom line is the Mets. Yeah, the Mets are willing to go over 300 million, and that tells you uh, they're in the ballpark. I'll put it at uh, I'll put it at Wednesday morning, maybe. You know that this. This gets finalized, you know. You know how these things go. They usually go right down to the wire that we saw with Degrom a couple of years ago. But I, I, I'm not 100 percent certain that it gets done. But I, I think there's a real good chance that it gets done. All right, Puma. It's 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 that time. It's prediction time. How many wins do the Mets finish with? Where do they finish in the division? What do you see happening here? All right, I'm going. Uh, this is our, our season preview in the post of running Wednesday, so I'll give you the same number I put in there. 92 wins for the Mets. I'm going to go with second place. I, I still I'm. Still going to pay respect to the Braves here, and I, I know some of the projections. Uh, Picota was was really harsh on the Braves, but I don't see that much of a fall off. I'm not, you know, I, I think the Braves are probably a, a couple of games better than the Mets. I'm gonna, I'll give the Mets a wild card, uh, 92 wins, and uh, they get back to the playoffs and go from there. And who wins the pennant? Uh, do, are you going with the Dodgers? I'm trying to remember who I did in the predictions. I, you know what? I think I picked the break. I think I picked the Braves to beat the Dodgers. And the, the only reason I did that is I'm sick of picking the Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> It just gets to the point like we're every year to nationally dodge dodge. So just to mix it up a little bit, I, I went with the Braves over the Dodgers. You can follow him on Twitter at NYPost underscore Mets. Read stories in the post, nypost.com. And pre-order his new book coming out April 27th, If These Walls Could Talk, New York Mets. Puma, we will talk to you throughout this season. So excited for baseball to be back and good to catch up with you. All right, guys. Have a good one. That'll say adios to episode 39, the Edwin Diaz edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake, and Alex Camerata for producing the show. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Gracias, mi amigos. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back next Monday after the first three games of the Mets season. Enjoy some real baseball. I cannot wait. Thanks for listening to Amazing But True. And of course, let's go Mets.